0: If you wanted to get started investing for growth, then today's episode is a good one for you. We discuss different types of assets and the ways in which you can access them, along with the different investment strategies that you can use. Enjoy the show.
1: Everything we talk about on today's podcast is general advice only because we don't know your individual personal situation. Before you act on anything we've spoken about, you should chat to your financial advisor, and if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us. Now, to today's show. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Collective podcast. Pete Pennycott here, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Zach Masters. Hey, Pete. How you going? Feeling good. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of worrying news. Market volatility is back. Coronavirus, Coronavirus is yeah. um, sending some shockwaves around, so hopefully some of the very intelligent people at some of these big pharma companies can solve this problem and sort that out.
0: Did you see how quick they built the hospital? over there. The I was watching Blue that as a bit of a province. time-lapse footage. Yeah, what are they insane. trying to do?
1: Sort of a giant or two giant hospitals or something? I was saying in uh, 10, they 10 days. I bring
0: them over to do the East-West link or something like that? I don't know if I'd want to be driving <laughs> my car
1: on something The concrete wouldn't have even been set yet. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm super comfortable about that. Um, but another more positive news, Ash Barty, um, I think by the time we sort of step out of here, we're recording this on a Thursday, Um hopefully sort of Won her next match,
0: yeah. yeah. So we, she's got the all, all the day games
1: pretty much. Australian yeah. Open glory. This is, I think, this is the Barty Party. It's it's time, and I think sort of Margaret Court Arena should be renamed Ash Barty <laughs> Party Arena or I think something. Fair in that few people that <laughs>
0: agree with you with that one.
1: Oh, <laughs> that was an interesting sign put up there by uh, McEnroe yeah. and Navratilova. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cheeky. So I'm, I'm interested to see what reprimand. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> they get. Um, but yeah, we're not here to talk about tennis or viruses. We're here to talk about money and how to help people make a little bit more of it. So let's talk about growth assets. So I was having a chat to someone yesterday evening, and that's sort of what brought up and sparked this topic. So, yeah, they've got an existing portfolio, but they want to know how to build it and what piece of the puzzle to add next. Um, so I thought, like, really high level topic about just sort of what are the options of you know people allocating or sort of building a growth portfolio um, and i think sort of yeah, we've got to start from the starting point i think we can all agree that having growth assets if you have got a long-term investment horizon and like long term is different for different people but i don't know minimum what five, five years yeah five yeah. years um you should be allocating some of your portfolio to growth because it makes sense you want otherwise it's sort of the value of your your cash that you're saving, if you're not investing in these, is going backwards.
0: Especially yeah, given the current interest rate environment that we find
1: ourselves in yeah. at the moment. Because what you're earning on an online saver or turn deposits, a lot of the time, is not keeping pace with the cost of living. Yep. So, um, yeah. like, And in terms of growth assets, we'll focus on the traditional stuff. So, I'm not talking about Bitcoin, gold, bullion. Um, what else have we got in there? Wine, art, cars. Um, these sort of things we understand marty uh, sneaker collection so we know other things can go up in value but for the purpose of today's chat we'll stick it to the the old uh, traditional stuff of shares and property
0: perfect um so these two or these types of um, assets can be broadly summarized in two areas which are direct and indirect so do you want to run us through what those are
1: yeah at a high level like directs pretty straightforward and it's for most people, this will be the first, um, I guess, exposure you're going to get to investing. A lot of the time, so or well, what first one you'll pay attention to. So, like for property, you know, you're talking about you're either going to an auction, you're buying it through an estate agent, through a private sale, or you're going direct to the vendor to purchase the property off the person that owns it. Uh, and for shares, it's sort of jumping on your online trading account, going to tech, your online brokerage account, yep. buying the shares on the stock market or calling up your full service broker and going, hey, can you buy me X, Y, Z shares and for X price and this much right. of them?" Yeah. Um, of So pretty straightforward. Um, it's the path that's the quickest a lot of the time, but it does have its drawbacks and limitations because you, know, you can only buy certain parcels of it. There's limits a lot of the time on how much you can buy. Do you have the expertise in that area? So um, for a lot of people, it's not really the most feasible strategy or perhaps the best strategy. Um, and in particular with property, because of the transaction size is so large, building an investment property portfolio is sort of limited to people that have the financial means and resources to be able to do it. And with the average sort of house price north of 600,000 in Melbourne, mm. it's very difficult. whereas I think the benefit of the indirect investments, and indirect is really where um, you are going through a managed investment scheme of some description, and these can be, we'll talk about different ways to go into these, but you're going into a managed investment solution. You're pooling your money with other investors. So you, know, you might put your thousand in and someone else has put a million dollars in, someone's got 25,000. It's all bundled up together and you're handing over the reins and the responsibility to a professional investment manager to make investment decisions and buy and sell those shares or assets on your behalf. Um, the benefit of this is you can get access to a much wider range of uh, investment asset classes that you, you, know, you and I might not be able to do individually, but when pulled together, um, all of our resources, we can access those. Uh, and also, it's a little bit, you, know, you can don't have to watch it every day.
0: Yeah, so both of these types of investments can be further classified down. Um, by so of the so many things. this flow chart could go on and on, on like and on. Yeah. Like, you want the, to run Am- us like through the Amazon River almost. <laughs> Do you want to run us through the main types of investments, uh, the main types of assets that can be invested this way?
1: Yeah, and I think like we'll try and keep it simple so people can actually use this and implement it. Um, so traditional managed funds and exchange traded products. So at a high level, traditional is the ones that are the wholesale managed funds. You're having to go direct. Um, oh, they're not listed basically. So you're going to have to go direct to the investment manager. Yep. On the listed side, so the exchange traded, and by virtue of their name, it should be a dead giveaway for how you transact with these. So these are listed on stock exchanges. Um, so either it be the ASX or sort of global stock exchanges. Um, so you're doing those, you're doing that and buying it much the same way as you would a share. So traditional managed funds, these are the old school way. So probably before your time, Zach, so mm. sort of when I first started in the industry, all those many moons ago, um, yeah. Paper application form, separate paper application form for each of your fund managers, um, pen on ink. Oh, no, what is it? Pen with ink on paper. <laughs> Quill. Wow, it's been a while. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> and then you're either going to have to post it off, um, yeah, and sort of just rely on Australia Post to get it there, um, or fax it off. So that, that's how it used to happen back in the day. This is the only way you could get access to all these investment managers. Um, and, you yeah, know, There's a broad range of providers and sometimes you'd need to send off multiple applications to build a portfolio. Then the next wave of um, efficiencies came in where you could go through, a, I guess, a a wrap account or a a managed fund portfolio where it sort of bundled up a select list of managers together. So instead of sending 10 applications for 10 different funds, you could send one application and have access to all those 10 funds that you needed on one thing. But it still was... Uh, the criticism was as expensive so fees were quite high
0: because there's um, an admin fee for for the rep and things yeah like so you're that.
1: paying an admin fee for whoever's consolidating um, all those different investment options for you and doing all the different reporting and there is work involved with that so there's value to be had um, but also the investment managers they had their fees as well and they were they've kept coming down but they're still relatively high compared to what we're experiencing nowadays so um, yeah, so at a high level, the managed traditional managed fund is really pulling your money alongside others. You're buying units, so you're not buying directly the shares in, so like ANZ or CBA or Rio or um, CSL. Mm. You're buying units in a managed trust structure. Um, and when you go to sell, you're selling those units. And the value of those units fluctuates depending on what the underlying investments are. Yeah. Um, and it might not be shares. It could even be a series of properties. So there's property trusts, um, might be infrastructure assets. But what you're getting as your uh, return is the unit price fluctuates and distributions are paid out as well. So there's still capital growth, there's still income, but it just happens in a different way than when you own it directly. Um, and it's all bundled up into one uh, one per managed fund as well. So um, really important, that distinction.
0: Yeah. And then what are the pros and cons of of either or or is, there a, um, is one better than the other or how do you see this?
1: Uh, within the traditional managed funds, like there's, it's a horses for courses. So there's still a place for wholesale managed funds for the right investor. And generally larger investors will benefit from perhaps going by direct to the manufacturer. So they're sort of bypassing all the third parties um, and you'll be able to negotiate a fee there. For people that want to be able to move seamlessly between lots of different investments and asset classes. So you might want to have your traditional managed funds alongside exchange-traded products alongside shares, well, mm. you want, might want a wrap account to do that. So you can move your money without every all the time having to hit your, I guess, bank account, fill up different forms, do different applications. It's a lot more seamless, a lot more simple. You get consolidated reporting, but you know that comes at a cost as well. Mm. Um, and I think <coughs> the biggest growth area um, has been in exchange-traded solutions. And the reason for that is most people are familiar with a broking account of some description. Yep,
0: buying and selling shares on the ASX. Buying and
1: selling shares. The cost of brokerage has come down. So it used to be $50.
0: And before we touch on this point, what would be the general fees for a wrap? Because I know you touched on that quickly before.
1: Well, I don't want to throw any wrap providers (laughs) under the bus. Um, But yeah, it depends on the size of your portfolio. So it's different for um, all sorts of people, but... Yeah, in terms of it, should be somewhere around know, yeah, less than one percent of your running cost um, yep. to be doing that. So, um, and the benefit you're getting there is, you know, you're getting access to all a suite of solutions all on one menu. Um, so you want to be making sure you are making the most of that consolidated
0: so, tax reporting most of the time and consolidated like tax reporting,
1: but also like the portfolio management is a real key one of going yep. well. Hey, I might want to exit this well, yeah, I might want to exit the banks. You know, I want to get rid of my banking exposure and I want that to go into infrastructure or alternatives or a property um, exposure. You can do that a lot more quickly, a lot more seamlessly if you do have a a consolidated um, wrap account. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's important to know. But again, just make sure you are getting value for it. If you're just going to be investing in one holding, maybe a wrap account might be an um, unnecessary expense. uh, So making sure you are getting value for it is really important. So, But yeah, I think exchange-traded products are the ones and traditionally these were like listed investment companies. So think of like your Argos and your Miltons. Um, And these ones were like closed-end structures where you sort of, the only way they could ever increase the size of the um, listed investment company was to actually do a a capital raising um, and offer more units in that as well. Whereas then ETFs came along and exchange traded of funds were, well, for a large, for a long time, just all passive strategies. So they just followed a particular index. Um, and like what we mean by followed a particular index is for the Australian market, it might have been you buy your ASX index, which will be the ASX 200 or an all ordinaries index. Yep. You're getting exposure to that in exactly the same way as the index is structured. Um, so low cost, and this is where the cost came down because to run these strategies, you're not paying for professional managers to choose and pick, like and have meetings with research, like CEOs, CFOs, go look at, go actually get on the ground, do all the research, yeah, um, conduct their meetings, have like investment committees. So the co- running costs were a hell of a lot lower, so it drove costs down and sort of put a lot of pressure on. Um, active managers and in large part the traditional fund management industry as well. So, um, yeah, I think sort of, I think we had the stats up there before, before I edited them out and deleted <laughs> them. Something like 58% the ETF market grew by uh, in Australia last 12 months. So, yep. or last 12 months, sort of 2020, uh, which is pretty insane. Like, if that growth rate continues, we're, it's going to be probably the biggest force in sort of the wealth management industry um, that we've ever seen. So there's a ton of... There's a weight of money. We've got compulsory super, a lot of money flowing into the system um, and a large chunk of that's now going through um, these passive strategies
0: Uh, and a lot of it will go through in ETFs as well. Uh, So you spoke a little bit there about the active versus passive. So we might have that debate now unless there's anything else you wanted to add on the ETF side of things.
1: Yeah, look, I I think both of them can coexist. I see... The argument I see the the case for passive because I think the stats don't lie. Most active managers underperform over the long term, yep. so you are paying, and a lot of, that underperformance is roughly what um, the fees are, the fee differential. So that's a pretty damning statistic uh, that's out there. But I do think there is a, a place for both of them, and you've just got to make sure you are getting value for your money. I I am not one that prescribes to cheapest is best. I think that's a uh, a silly way to tr- make any financial decision, let alone investment decision or just any decision. So I, I don't sort of always go the cheaper. There's some things that make sense. yeah. Um, but I think making sure you when you're paying for active management, get active management. So you don't want someone that you're going to pay a premium for. So I'm going to pay a higher fee. And when I talk about higher fee, like a, a Vanguard, for example, is plucking one of the index managers out will be sort of less than 0.2 of a percent. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to an active manager, might be north of one percent. Yeah. So it's a significant differential, and you want them doing something for that. So you want them to not behave like the index that the the index manager is tracking. So you want them to be sort of picking and choosing, and yeah, managing. because you want them follow.
0: to be outperforming. So you don't yeah. want them to just be doing
1: what the, what the passive managers yeah doing. And they might be underperforming different times, but that might be okay because you know what you're like. They're being true to label, so they're behaving as you'd expect them
0: to. For instance, if there's what an example of that might be, what if there's a fund that's meant to outperform in down times? Yeah, things so you like might that. have a lower volatility fund, so they might yeah. not
1: bef- like be market beating when the things are good, but they might cushion you more and give you a smoother ride when things are a little bit rockier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I think that like, I don't know how you look at the passive versus active debate.
0: Well, I think it depends on what um, type of investor it is as well. Um, so, a lot of the things that we're seeing recently, too, is that a lot of people are coming in with ethical biases in their portfolio and things like that, where an active, um, a passive portfolio, sorry, um, generally will have a lot of tobacco, coal, and. Um, You know, those types of of different things that people are not necessarily wanting to invest in. So if that's important to you, then a a passive strategy mightn't work. Um, But but there's also the benefits for if you're starting out, um, you don't have a lot of money at the start and need to get diversification cheaply, then a passive strategy can be a good way to go about it. It's also good for people that mightn't be overly interested um, Hmm. in looking at their portfolio every day but want to just invest in something that's... um, Got the ability to have growth within it, um, and then they could just invest in that in on in a regular basis. Um, it can be an easier way for people to get started investing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like the ESG one, the um, socially aware. Straight, I think that's a that's gonna put a lot of strain on um, people's investment decisions, and yeah. like more and more. So like We've seen Pretty much
0: up. every new appointment we're having, some people are saying. You know, they have some form of ethical bias most of the time. Yeah, I've got a few, a lot of unethical ones. <laughs> that like just make money, money at all costs. But no,
1: yeah. <laughs> no but you are right. It is, it is a massive shift. Um, and I think the two, the strategy like that we like to sort of consider is like a core satellite approach. Yeah, where you've got a chunk of your portfolio which is um, aiming to be average by you know because it's it is the index, so it's giving you broad diversification. So you're spreading your risk. Um, and giving a really, really good foundation, and then building satellite positions, so smaller positions. Um, so, like, I guess, from a, to paint a picture for a visual picture for those out there listening, um, might be like forty to sixty percent of the portfolio sits in the core exposure, and that's just going to hit. It's just going to get par. It's going to be average portfolio yep. returns and average returns. Does what are the good. market's going to do. Average returns for the equity markets are above ten percent. Average returns for property about 10% as well. So these are not bad returns, but it's just going to sort of consistently hit that. And then around that, you build active exposures where you go, these are different trends, these are different areas in the economy, different strategies that I think will add some benefit to my portfolio, either be it'll reduce volatility, it'll increase my returns, or it will insulate me in the event of a market shock. Yep. And then you build those positions around it and they might be 5 to 10% each. And you go, oh, great. So now I have this, I have geographical diversification, I have an asset class diversification, but I've also got strategy diversification. And I'm in areas that I'm either passionate about or I believe will outperform under the prevailing market conditions that I'm predicting. Yeah. So I think that really works well. And then you get a blend of, you've got a mix of low cost, um, higher fee load. Um, and I think that's a you know, bit of moderation. Definitely. Can all
0: We can all play together. That's it. Yeah, there's room for both. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but I, I agree as a starting point, if you don't have a lot, I think the starting, where you start is passive. Yeah, You start passive because it gives you the biggest bang for your Build buck. Build that and then and once you good. get
0: it to a decent amount, you can start to yeah. do that core satellite approach.
1: Absolutely. So fees. I know you focus a lot on fees. It's I know you're like always coming in <laughs> after the first round at the bar. Um, so <laughs> what should people expect to pay? for a passive strategy or sort of are there any like rule of thumb guides you can give people we're not going to open up all the list. Actually, uh, you might direct them to a so list. Hu-
0: yeah, it is hard because there's well, there's a lot of research tools online. So I know the market index site has some tools where it's easy to find or else um, you can look and just Google. Um, if you're interested in an ETF, yeah. you'll be able to find the fees um, pretty quickly. I think
1: the easiest way, like you mentioned, market index. Jump yep. on the ASX side as well. Have a read of the PDSs. Um, the fa-
0: fun fact sheets or Money Smart's, smart's got like a sort ones. of
1: some hyperlinks out to um, some pages as well that just give you a, a broad list of all the different options out there.
0: Yeah, but you've got a uh, the thing with ETFs where people get stuck too, especially if you're going to do a regular savings plan into an ETF, is that you're probably going to have brokerage each time. Yeah, And then you're going to need the minimum of $500 um, for a transaction. So, yeah. if you're doing $250 at a weekly thing or fortnightly, it's not going to be enough to, to buy the next parcel. Yeah, and I the think that's the case of a high percentage in brokerage because they usually have a minimum, um, which is going to be a decent chunk if you are on that lower end of the yeah. um,
1: size. And I think regular savings plan, there's a big benefit of having... That's where a wrap or yeah. a sort of a consolidated reporting, those traditional old world managed funds. I think they they, they knock the ETF for six. Because yeah, because they're the
0: functions that uh, make it a lot easier for the investor. Automatic yeah. buying and selling at certain points and different things like that.
1: And also monitoring cost bases, like They're doing all that yeah. for you instead of you having to go, oh gosh, I'm going to record every transaction I do. And if you're buying every week, month, um, every quarter, that over 10, 20 years becomes mm-hmm. a lot of transactions. Yeah. If you change brokers, have you carried over that history? Because you might change brokers. Yeah. Um, all really, really important things to uh, understand. But I think as a rule of thumb, like your your passive strategy so will be somewhere closer. Like They'll be sub a quarter of a percent. Mm. Whereas your active strategies will probably be more consistently above three quarters of a percent and sort of going up to... Closer to two percent if you're like buying into a, something very special, like a hedge fund or, yeah. or a sort of um, an alternative strategy. So there's a big, big difference. You got to make sure you understand, read the label, yeah, because that'll yeah. give you a shortcut, sort of a bit of a hint. What am I investing in? Read beyond the label because I actually go, what the hell am I putting my hard-earned money into? Because especially
0: on the, it's more the fee side on the um, passive is that you don't want to be paying more for something that you can get. You know, the exact same or very, very similar unless yeah. less somewhere else.
1: And this is a criticism of some of the active Australian equity managers. They hold, like you look at their top 10 shareholding, it's the same as the ASX CBA. top 10 <laughs> shareholding and you go, well, hang on, am I really getting diversification? Yeah. So there's no point Why, in am I
0: buying a 1% extra in yeah. fees. Because
1: you might buy, oh, I've got fund manager A, ASX, I've got fund manager B, ASX, fund manager C. If they're all doing largely the same thing, you're mm. not actually getting any strategic benefit. You're feeling good. You look like you've got diversification. You actually haven't because you're holding a lot of the same underlying investments. So yeah, um, yeah. make sure you read it, understand what you've got um, and is it reasonable from a fee perspective? And there's research houses out there if, you've, if you want to really do a deep dive yourself or speak to an advisor um, and get some advice on it to make a really sort of informed decision. Definitely. Um, fees are the other side. So wrap accounts have costs as well. Yeah. But no brokerage. Um, if you are sort of going into a passive traditional uh, fund and that's where just make sure you sort of...
0: And this is yeah, this is what you talked about at the start it really does depend on what type of portfolio you're going to have. Like are you just going to have one managed fund and chunk a, a fair portion of money in there because if so, it might be better off going direct and doing that um, or are you going to have multiple managed funds, multiple yep. shares potentially, you're going to be doing a regular savings plan into it um, then it, you know it might be better to have a wrap account because the wrap account is going to save you time yeah. um, and frustration later down the track.
1: I like it. All right. So, what about risk? So, what should people? We want to. We want our listeners out there to go in eyes wide open and only buy the best of the best for them. Yeah. Um, any any guidance you got here to sort of pitfalls, risks, things that you've perhaps done in the past? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: uh, so, risks of investing. Um, that you should be aware of with these types of investments. Uh, there's so many new options coming out um, and especially you know in response to the demand that there's been. Um, so, it's critical to ensure you have confidence in the liquidity and quality of the issuer. So, we saw hmm. a lot of issues with this back in the global financial crisis and even you still see some clients come in every now and again with frozen funds where hmm. you can't get the money out.
1: And f- all frozen funds aren't bad just so we can... Uh, just defend the fund managers out there
0: sometimes it's
1: the irrational investors that's their fault because they start to run and sort of just offload all types of investments for um, yeah irrational reasons uh, because they're panicking so it just means they're trying to preserve the asset as best they can for the um, the whole fund so especially if you're investing in an illiquid asset like a property fund for example it's that's more prone to being frozen because mm. yeah you, know, you can't just go oh if all the investors want their money you can't sell the property like and click straight away it's done yeah um, so yeah that's that is a good one you want to know who you're investing and that's why quality 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 not cheapest not cheapest not cheapest um, but you can have high quality and low cost and I think there's there's some um, poster childs in the Australian market for that and globally as well so yeah
0: the other risk that people talk about with ETFs is the tracking error as well so do you want to run people through what that is and should they people be aware of it
1: uh, for passive strategies definitely like you want to know that if you're paying someone to track an index they're actually tracking it really closely yep. it's impossible to get it 100% um, right but you want to be making sure they're, they're largely following the index really really closely because that's important Like you, that's what you're paying them to do um, and all of the passive managers will have that sort of printed on their uh, brochureware or their fund flyers and performance reports because it is a, one of the key things that we look at um, when we're making a decision on who to invest with and who to trust with our clients' money. Yeah. Um, I think the other one is like in terms of just knowing is the investment manager, and this goes back to the quality thing, do they invest in line with what they've promised to do? So are they sort of in line with their mandate? Are they hitting their objectives? So, you know, if you're investing in a target return fund and the return that they're targeting is 5% above inflation, are they hitting that consistently? And if they're not, well, they shouldn't not have your money. Yep. Um, or if they're an ethical manager, we'll make sure their ethical charter and their screening process aligns with what you want. Now, because
0: that's a, the that's a thing too with a lot more people heading towards ethical investments. There are some ethical funds that you might not necessarily consider Ethical yourself. I was looking one yesterday, and this is like a
1: common bugbear for people now: is the banks. Are they ethical? Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to think so, I do. but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, and that sort of got us sort of scratching our heads a little bit. But they do tick the box. So they're sitting in a lot of those, um, especially passive, passive ethical funds. Yeah, they're definitely sitting in there. And I saw there was a gold company in there in one of them yesterday.
0: Yeah, the screening that the ethical companies do is different for Mm. uh, the ethical funds, sorry, um, is different for each one too. So that's you might want to look back at our episode we did about um, ethical investing because there are many different screens that they use.
1: Because it might be negative screening, but you might want positive screening. Yeah, Um, And like it might not roll out all mining because some of the miners, they um, tick a certain level of boxes. Mm. Um, And there's a lot of... um, resources out there to actually go, well, okay, how are these markets made up? And how do, how do these businesses satisfy these different conditions? Because I think it's, you know, if you look at most of the annual reports, it's a big part of it now. So the, the ESG awareness is is higher than it's ever been. Yep. Um, so yeah, definitely have a look at that. And I think the other thing to be aware of when investing in funds is like, how big are they? Um, So especially for active funds, you want to know how big they are relative to the um, addressable market they're investing in. So you don't want, especially with small caps and micro caps, you can't have the fund getting too big because otherwise they become they they move the market and they become the market. And then the ability to outperform becomes impossible Mm. because if you're 50% of the market you're investing in, anything you do moves the market. Therefore, you may as well invest in a passive manager. So um, that's often a a case with... um, yeah smaller and micro cap sort of managers just make sure and the good ones will close their funds um once they hit a certain level yeah um all right what about so your portfolio personally or just maybe your philosophy (laughs) um should you only have one type of investment within a fund like would you only ever just go would you quarantine and go i just run passive i only run active i only have direct i only have indirect like do you sit on do you have a a, a viewpoint on that? Uh,
0: so I have more than one investment within my portfolio, but it um, suits my needs because I'm, you know, I'll be look at this stuff, you know, every day, all day, every day. Yeah. Eat, sleep, breathe it. So it's uh, of interest to me. Um, if it was something where I was just wanting to invest and not think about it, then one one type, one investment can work. You know, one passive investment can work. I think as we said earlier, there's no right or wrong answer to this necessarily it's all about um does the the investment suit your needs and goals
1: yeah and and that's the main thing going is it going to help you behave well in terms of in periods of financial stress and market conditions so yeah. that's what you want and if it gets you reaches your objectives that's what the portfolio is for um personally i think they all play really well together and you need a bit of everything in a really really well constructed portfolio yeah um but you need to make considerations and it's different for everyone but I think they all can play, and sort of it's like a symphony when it, it works well.
0: Um, geez, that's like I'm just picturing yeah. that's beautiful. <laughs> it's like an orchestra. Orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> you up the front as a conductor. Yeah. <laughs> just the
1: the maestro up the front, just, you know, just making all these investments, just playing concert. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, so I, I that's f- philosophically, I do believe that is the case, but I fully understand that some people just don't want the headache and the hassle of having to do that and that's why these different strategies exist because it um yeah it's not what it's horses for courses
0: yeah and then what would be your number one tip um, for people looking to construct a portfolio from scratch before we wrap up today's episode
1: i would say start with the end in mind so understand what is the end objective for this portfolio and in terms of size, in terms of what it's going to deliver, is it going to be drip feeding a passive income? Is it going to be sold down in one chunk? Because um, that, I think, is going to change the way you construct it from the start.
0: You might choose to go to a rough account where
1: it might make well, you just might choose to run and have the different underlying investments. So mm. I think too often we kick off with just going, oh, this is this, this is easy, I'm going to do this. Or someone told me this, I'm going to by the, this and then you oh, you have to unravel it um, and then you run into more problems because you've gone through several sets of transactions to get to where you should have been in the first place. Yeah. So I think if you can sort of go, what is the end objective? How big is my portfolio going to be? What are my transactions that are, are going to be along the journey roughly? And I know it's not a perfect science. Um, like, how am I going to sell it in one hit? Is, am I going to drip feed it out? How many investments would I ideally like to have? What sort of things? Mm. There you go. That, if you can think about those things and understand, you probably will change your mind over the the journey. But if you can more or less get a a rough idea, that's how you get the foundations right when you kick it off.
0: Yep. What about you?
1: Have I stolen your thunder? Yeah,
0: that was pretty similar to what. Oh, (laughs) God. Give us something. Come Uh, on. There must be some tip. Well, the number one tip would be just to get started. So don't. put off things because you're thinking about oh I might um want to you know I might want to 10 different managed funds but I don't necessarily have the money just yeah. get started in that um, potentially that passive style of investment at the start and then build your way up towards to getting to what that ultimate goal might be yeah you're that's a really a good cool satellite one but too often
1: people hold off until they got what they think is enough money
0: just yeah because yeah, you might crack- be sitting there going I want to have an active portfolio but you might not necessarily have the funds to do it just get started in a a passive style and then work your way to that.
1: Yeah. Is there a, a ideal time for people to start? Like Yesterday. Yesterday. Yes. So Wednesday <laughs> uh, or perhaps tomorrow, tomorrow. maybe Friday. Today. Yes. All right. No worries. Well, we might wrap it up there. Hopefully you've got something out of that. Um, you know, growth assets are exciting. They're important. Um, they're a key part of any portfolio. So we hope you've sort of got a better understanding for how to get cracking and sort of maybe some considerations for how to construct your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Look, If you're not sure, feel free to reach out to us, hit us up on any of our socials or send us an email. Um, And we'll look forward to seeing you next week. I don't know what we're talking about, but I'm sure it'll be fantastic. And thanks for tuning in.
0: Cheers.